I'm Andre. And I'm Richard. And this is Rugby Deconstructed. No pressure, Greg. <laughs> no worries. How's it, everybody? Welcome to our first edition of the Bonus Point, a small little, a short little video clip where we will be discussing rugby things that are related to Rugby Deconstructed. With me tonight, I've got Richard, and we will be introducing, and hopefully we'll have him on more shows. Greg, how are you doing? Yes, good, thanks. Good, thanks. Yeah, sitting in Cape Town, quite warm here. Uh, lockdown, but yeah, doing good. Yeah, good to, yeah. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Richard, yourself? Thanks, Andre. Also enjoying lockdown. Um, yeah, getting used to the new way of doing things, but uh, yeah, taking the opportunities and working with what we've got. Right. So for our first uh, episode, we there was an article that came out uh, a good couple of years ago, actually in 2006 by Gavin Rich. And he spoke about um, mad coaches disease, MCD. And that gave me the, obviously, you know, just trying to make light of the situation regarding the COVID lockdown. Um, and when you, if you've been keeping track on social media, there's been a load of supporters who are missing rugby and they've started coming up with certain lists and a variation of lists and trying to be creative. So I've got a, I've got a list of about six here, but Richard, I'll start with you and, uh, you give me two or three, um, uh, of lists that you've seen where, uh, supporters have gone a little bit mad and started creating their own lists of best 15s, etc., etc. Yeah, so far the, the the list that I've seen, or some of them are uh, comparing comparing players, such as the best Springbok winger, um, comparing Babana to Colby. Other ones I've seen are the the uh, biggest or, or biggest upsets uh, rugby wise taking into account games such as France, Tonga, uh, Wales, Italy, South Africa, Japan as an example. Um, another one I've seen is the best Springbok victories, taking into account, of course, uh, excluding World Cup wins, but games or, or best, best pictures against the All Blacks, for instance. So those are the type of lists that I've seen. Uh, quite Some of them very superficial, just listing top fives, um, some going more in-depth, comparing a banner to Colby, for instance, or comparing, um, like you say, Johnny Walkinson to Dan Carter, I've seen lists like that. So in terms of those, a lot of comparisons, but um, you know, not, not so much on putting 15s together, which is what I feel is, uh, which is what I spend the most of my time trying to pass the time getting a few 15s together. And uh, yeah, we've, seen, we've, seen you putting, we've seen you putting those lists together. It's been over the last three days. Your, this WhatsApp group has been going mental about you guys proposing these lists. So you're going to say, what lists have I come up with, Andre? I haven't come up with any lists. I've been taking cue over the countless lists that you Oaks have been sending, which has been, yeah, as I said, uh, quite a few. Um, I was quite interested in that, uh, obviously, r ranking the biggest Springbok victories because, um, yeah, a few, a few Springbok victories. I think, for me, it's just winning in New Zealand is just like, just the best. This is the cream of the cream of the cream of the top for me is just uh, winning in New Zealand. That's really just waking up on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock, admittedly watching it probably by yourself, and just going through the whole game completely silent at home. That for me is is ranks up there. If we can spend the next fifteen minutes talking about wins in New Zealand, I'd be happy. 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of those lists, uh, especially ranking the 13-3 win in 98 as the best win so far, which um, I tend to disagree. I think the for me, the last one we had in New Zealand seems to be a bigger one just because of the the, the, the magnitude of it being an upset compared to, mm. to the 98 one especially. Especially since the, the year previous, we were 57 duck, if I'm not mistaken. I've lost some sound, boys. Yeah, I've also lost Andre there. Are we back? Am I back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll we'll ignore that uh, comment by me, because we couldn't hear it. Anyway, so mad supporters' disease. Uh, a couple of things I saw up greatest players. Um, sorry, I slipped one in here. Have you, have you guys noticed that everybody's posting their workout videos? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently the um, checking into gym on Facebook. So it's um, apparently it works the same. So if you post your workout video, it's almost the same as checking into gym um, on Facebook or Instagram or social media. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm guilty there. I've been putting up workouts for the for the for the chaps there. Twenty one minutes. Get get in there. Um, some other uh, interesting one I saw was favorite tick shot uh, players. And you, you won't believe who was number one on that list. Not Carlos Spencer, but um, Andy Good. And you can see Famous trick shot. Uh, trick shot players. Players with uh, uh, really decent uh, skills. And Andy Good's kickoffs apparently rank right up there. Um, the other one I saw people doing uh, playing rugby with garden furniture and bouncing, running, and sidestepping their garden furniture. Uh, and then uh, another one I saw was the best captain's list, which uh, basically compared to our best 15 from the Bulls and the, the and Western Province list. So there's, yeah. a, good, there's a good couple out there. Um, I know uh, there's, a, there's a chap out on Twitter who put out 21 games worth watching from the Springboks. So um, I'll... Link it up on Twitter for the boys and send it to, uh, send it out so chaps can go and have a look there. One test a day for 21 days, and, he, and he's put a list there for you to go and to go nice. and check. All right, so awesome. so this has led us to our own MSD list that we want to present today. And chat, I'm going to quickly bring it up here for the for the lads. There we go. We'll start at the top with Justin Swart, probably one of the more unlucky. Pullbacks. Yeah, I think um, looking a bit back at uh, Justin Swart and especially um, and especially some of the test matches and games he played, I th what what I think makes him very unlucky is the fact that he was a, a deal. He, he was a he, he was just as fluid on the wing as he was at fullback, and um, I think he what what really could tell him was he's the the, the time when he was in his peak was firstly in when Andre Hubert was still in favor with, um, with uh, coaches and selectors at that point. And strange enough, he was actually the, in the Nick Mallet era, the first guy to wear the number 15 jersey in the Nick Mallet era in his first test against Italy. And from there, got dropped in favor of uh, Percy. So in terms of, um, 
in terms of Swart's uh, abilities, I think he was very unlucky, especially and with raw pace to miss out. Uh, especially a time when I can remember that he was quite unlucky was during the 2001 season. Uh, in 2000, he actually spent a season in New Zealand and uh, played for Otago in the MPC, which is now the, the Metro 10 Cup. And was actually, he, he even honed his goal-kicking skills there. Yeah. And came back, he had a fantastic season in 2001, but still got overlooked by Harry Fulhune and from there faded into retirement, actually. So in terms of having played 10 tests, he is quite unlucky in that yeah. sense. He was, he was actually Nick Mallet's number one pick. And in that Italian, ga uh, Italian game, he actually got injured. And that's where Percy Montgomery took over uh, and then made the 15 jerseys own after that. So he, mm. he, his initial loss uh, out on the Springbok uh, maybe wasn't at the beginning of that good year, uh, good run by Nick Mallet was more unlucky due to injury than coaches not wanting to select him. Any inputs, Greg? Would you would you put uh, Werner Greif in there? Um, obviously, he he came around uh, in the early 2000s. Obviously, Jake White came in in 2004. Went back to to Monty. Werner uh, Greif between 10 to 20 Test matches, so not a lot at all. Um, that's Again, going back to playing a, a few tries, a few steps in uh, playing against uh, New Zealand in New Zealand, uh, definitely springs to mind as as one of the. I, I wouldn't say uh, maybe say unlucky, but one of the players that definitely sprang to mind as, as somebody that could have made the 15 jersey his own. I mean, going from memory here, not necessarily um, a great kicker, but but just uh, just very very good with ball in hand. Yeah. Um, if memory says yeah, he scored a he scored a great try against um, Australia uh, in the dying minutes for us to win that game if I remember correctly. Yeah, but also if you look back at the um, the time frame that Van Achrieff was part of the box setup, that was when uh, Percy uh, initially left for for Wales, and at that point we SA Rugby still had a the rules in place that any overseas based player. Uh, wasn't allowed to be picked. So I'm also weighing up, would Van Achrieff have been actually picked if uh, Percy was still allowed to be chosen for the box back in 2002? Yeah. yeah. Right, moving on. With, if, if he would be a placeholder or not. Yeah. Um, Ron Kornbrink, we, we, a more recent player and totally fallen out of favour at the Lions now as well. Yeah, um, I think Ruan Kombrink's biggest problem was uh, he, he started his block career in the, in the wrong era. I mean, uh, he was definitely an Alistair could see a casualty from that era. And injury as well. Same as with, uh, as you said, with Justin Swart. Uh, injury really hampered um, Kombrink's exposure in the, number, in, in the number 14 jersey. And now that he's actually fully fit, I mean, we... Where, where would you put him? Where would you actually put a fully fit Ruan Kombrink in the side now? Um, we, it would be ludicrous to drop any of the, the, the three inform wingers at the moment for him. Uh, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean the size of Ruan Kombrink running uh, full speed is, is on the wing is quite great, uh, in my opinion. I would have wanted to have seen it more. I think, I mean, being the age that he's at right now, um, for him to come back from France is is probably probably not going to happen. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, this is why we've got the list uh, that we're talking about yeah. today, because I think he largely would be lost uh, to, to Springbok rugby from here on in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, and you, you, you're talking about his size as well um, in, that, in, in that perspective. Um, we actually had this conversation a while back, Andre and myself, about uh, successful teams that have one big wing uh, it's got the physicality and the size and, and someone in the other wing with the pure pace. And in oh, that look sense, at our team. One yeah. wing with pure pace and another wing with size. Exactly. <laughs> Even looking at that, so uh, Ron Kornbrink, I mean, we, we've, at the moment we've got the balance of, of size and pace. If you look at guys like uh, Nkosi and Mapimpi, that you really can't, as you say, um, coming back from France now, it would be impossible for somebody like Combrink to break through. Are we Where sure he's he in France? Yeah, okay. I think okay. so. I'm not 100% uh, sure on that. We'll have to double check that afterwards. But we're going to move on, James. No. Only 15 minutes, eh? We said we're going to keep it yeah. short. Uh, Chris Bardenost. Uh, we'll just jump to the, the other wing quickly. Chris Bardenost, yeah, he played in an era with uh, James Small, Jacques Ulefi, Chester Williams. Uh, Richard, you, you pointed out earlier in the, in, in the warm-up that he actually held the Curry Cup try-scoring record for many years. Yeah, until uh, John Daniels broke it, he was actually the, the, the top try-scorer in the history of the Curry Cup. And what makes that a bit more, um, I think, or, or more impressive for me is that back in those days, it was in the, in the six-team Curry Cup where it was more strength as a strength, where we didn't have uh, guys running scores against uh, Bulldogs, Pumas, um, not, nothing against them, but if you're looking at this level of standard or Falcons, there they wasn't that, those easy games. And for 10 years, he was actually, in the 10-year history, he, was, he held that record. And then you actually think about it, it's considering he only played two test matches in 94 against Argentina and a, a Rugby World Cup warm-up against Samoa, and that was his, his, his Bok career. And if, if, if you think about somebody with that history and that pedigree to only play two test matches, that's, that's madness. We wouldn't expect that in today's era. Yeah. Hey, Greg, in a, in a Curry Cup that uh, was still worth something, eh? Yeah, that's definitely before my time. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, all right, let's see we got Dick Muir at 13. He was actually at 12. Um, but yes, he was also very unlucky. He, he comes from the era with Peter Miller, uh, Joppy Mulder. So he, he only came in with Nick Mallet, correct? Yeah, he came in um, towards the, at the beginning of the Mallet era and all his test matches were played consecutively. So he played... Or he started every test of the '97 tour to to Europe that we went undefeated through, and from there he he played the '98 Super Rugby season for the Stormers and retired from there. He was already I think something like 33, 34 yeah. when he made his box debut. So he spent uh, a good 10 seasons with the with with the Sharks in their glory years, but just never managed to crack it, as you say, in a in a Peter Miller, Yapi Mulder era. He never was able to crack it. Yeah, and he's uh, on that tour. His outside centre was Andre Snowman. So, and they were actually quite a great combination. Okay. All right. Yeah, and then moving on. Moving on to Peter Grant. Peter, we got, we don't have old Adam here. He's busy looking after his newborn daughter. Well done, Adam. So I'll well see. I'm sure Adam could give us a whole breakdown of Peter Grant, so we'll have to... The darling of Newlands. The darling of Newlands. 
<laughs> right, uh, uh, Richard, you got any any inputs there on Peter Grant for us? Hey, eh? good good on defence. Couldn't kick off his left, unfortunately. Yeah, I think Peter Grant was unlucky there. Where if if he had played in the Ellis Kutsia era, he would have started every Test match. But he would he he, he was he found himself in a in an era where uh, Butch James and Andre Pretorius were were holding down the fort, and um, even even Jaco is in at that at that stage was. Um, Considered ahead of Peter Grant, and um, yeah, he he made his day bop debut only towards um, the warm-up of the 2007 World Cup when uh, Jake White, uh, actually, in effect, chose a dirt tracker team to 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 take to the on the way leg of the Tri Nations. Was it was and, he the um, fly off in our 49 nil routing by the Aussies? No, no, that was uh, Yaku van der Westen. Oh, that's right, yeah, Yaku. Uh, I knocked it on, Ref. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he made his debut in 2007 at the end of the, I think, uh, in the away leg of the Tri Nations. The five test matches, his last one was uh, the, a year later in the beginning of the Peter de Villiers era um, against uh, Australia in Perth, where after PDV actually settled on uh, Ruan Pinar before. Uh, before Mornay Stain came on the scene in that yeah. era. Uh, moving on to Neil de Kock, uh, 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 probably the man I think on this list is the most unluckiest out of everyone on this list. The reason being, he was in the era with Joost van der Westes and But uh, I remember every single test he played, he really, really shone. And he went on to have a, an awesome career with Saracens, as many South Africans do. Yeah, but I think that the problem with Neil de Kock is, as you say, unlucky in the era, um, playing second fiddle to Jus van der Westeisen, but also injuries. So, I mean, he, he made his debut in 2001, in the 2001 season against Italy. Jus was still favoured as the, the the starting scrum off. Um, uh, de Kock had a few tests off the bench. 2002, when uh, Jus was unavailable, the cock was injured with a knee. And uh, that was when Bola Conradi actually challenged him for the position at both the Stormers and, uh, and, the, and the Springboks. Yeah. And then in 2003, a fully near fit, Neil de Kock and Bola both played second fiddle to, to US again. And uh, that was, and then in 2004, that's the, when Furida Priya burst on the scene. So he was really in an oh, era where there were two fantastic scrum offs coming. Uh, incumbent and coming through and injuries could tell them to 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 10 tests unfortunately yeah all right heading into the forwards this is greg's bread and butter yeah before we get onto the forwards if if maybe if uh neil de Kock came back to south africa sooner um especially after after three de Prier hung up his boots do you think he would have got a, a bit of a look in uh, i mean would have had over five seasons at Saracens, obviously an institution at Saracens at that time already. Yeah. Do you think him coming back would have been um, a skulk Brits type scenario where he where he would have been an older head in the in the in the camp and maybe not have started? But I mean, we saw what skulk Brits did at the World Cup in terms of a, a leadership point of view. Um, well, I think, I think uh, definitely added to that. The coach, the coach at that time was Heineken Meyer, and he. He started off. We've lost your audio, Andre. Sorry. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. 
All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've given up. Um, I think he was. He was. He would have been competing with um, Francois Holgaard, um, who ousted. Uh, oh, and 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 Heineken Mayer brought back Ruan Pinar as his scrum off. So Kobus uh, Reinach as well. Kobus Reinach. So you know, I, I, with the Heineken Mayer era, I don't know what would have happened. Uh, because in his, when he picked his World Cup, he, he dropped uh, he dropped both Kubis uh, and Francois Hochard, who were part of his setup, um, and took Rudy Page. And then then we had Alistair Kutsia in, in his limelight. So and yes, I I I don't think he would have got a look in, which means he would have been unlucky again. Got you. Uh, yeah. So re- heading into the forwards, Greg's bread and butter. Um, we'll start. Um, I don't know. I need to you... go into the front row to talk about my bread, but <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember Sean Sauerbier. He still he played many many games for Stade Francais. I do, I do. And he cracked one Test match for for the Springboks. Yeah, what game was Samoa. that against? Yes, Samoa and Pretoria. And uh, again, uh, it was in the time when uh, uh, Rudolf Strali was giving out Test caps like lollipops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. He, 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 he was competing with Joe Fennekak and Pedro Vandenberg for the for the eight jersey. So well, not just them. I mean, in, his, in his prime for the uh, for the Sharks, he was competing against uh, Andre Foss firstly, and then Bob Skinstead after that. Yeah. We were both captain the box at that stage. So it was more, also a case of a, a fantastic player being unlucky that um, the leadership roles kept him out. Same as what we had with uh, Shimangi. I mean, um, you never got a, as many test caps as you should have um, due to John Smith being captain and uh, and starting at that stage. Yeah. So with only one, I mean, his one test cap, if you think about it, was it, it was deserving, even in an era where test caps were given out freely. But uh, yeah, if it wasn't for Joe Fernikak, Andre Force, Bob Skinstead, he could have definitely uh, had a better look in. Yeah, we'll be, we've got 10 minutes left. So um, just looking at uh, Val Bartman, he's a, he's a, if I look at this list, he's the only real player that comes out of the, um, sorry, I took into correction, Steve Atherton and Keith Andrews are, are players that come out of the, the amateur era. And yes. uh, so Val Bartman, probably, you know, he was a hard man. Remember him playing for the Sharks, actually living in living in uh, Johannesburg, flying down to to the Sharks to to practice and then and match days. Uh, hard, uh, we got him at seven. He was actually a six in South African terms. Uh, very hard man, uh, and he did very well. And you know, it was coming out of isolation and him getting a test cap. Uh, he probably would have got a lot more in, in today's uh, in today's era. Uh, moving on to number six, Hendrik Gerber. He, yes, I remember that guy playing for for Western Province and Stormers. He, he's almost. Sure. We we've got Ruan Janssen van Rensburg up there and Dick Muir. We some uh, Ruan Janssen van Rensburg who some, somehow we we skipped, but uh, Hendrik Gerber almost uh, is in the same boat as um, Etienne Boerte, who we haven't even got on this list. Yeah, and uh, Hendrik Gerber, again, he got his two test matches in the Australia era. where And it was, if you think about how hard he was and the, 
the, how fantastic the Stormus Lustria was um, in the early 2000s of Kone Krieger, Gerber and uh, Adi Badenhorst. And Gerber seemed to, he was always unlucky in, in an era where we've always had good loose forwards to, to, get, to only get two appearances. And they were both against Scotland in 2003, mostly due to injuries to guys who went to the World Cup later on, such as Kone uh, Krieger and uh, Dani Rousseau at that stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Hendrik Gerber and, and Audrey Barnos and Kone Krieger, I mean, just when I, I just when I started going to Newlands in, in grade one and grade two, they were uh, and, and in the, sitting in the scholars section and, and, and looking at us and th- them being the loose trio was, for me, just a memory. Before Bob Skinsack came onto the scene, they were just the, the three that, that, I mean, in the men in black era, it was just crazy times. Yeah. Um, sure, and, and definitely more so province, if, you, if you're thinking Hendrik Heb and Audrey Barnos. Charles, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're just in, term, in, in terms of my formative years, they were uh, immense. And yeah. Um, sure Greg, speaking of those Newlands days, I don't know if you remember them, um, especially Gerber and Cliff and them lifting uh, Audrey Bodenhorst above the poles to, to block the, the penalties going over. And, yes. uh, and World Rugby outlawed that quickly after that, where after these, those oaks came up with that brilliant uh, idea. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, moving on, old Hoti Low. Um, yes, I'd, now I can't remember. He's, his era was also around about um, the Nick Mellet, or was he after that? I can't. Late, late 90s, what, early 2000s. I'd, I'd yeah, that's when he started his uh, provincial career. He also, again, showing just how Australia was thinking at that stage. He started the first. Four test matches of the Strali era. Yes, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. And then uh, Samoa. And then Dooley got dropped after them. And uh, at the end, being having guys like Yanis Labaskachny and Kiu um, Kronier favoured above you, forced him to, to leave South Africa at the end of 2003, where he um, actually joined Clermont. Yeah. I remember now that was that uh, we can actually do another list of uh, Rudolf Stroli's strongest fifteen. It will be it will be probably quite sad uh, a, a sad selection that. Um, yeah, I'm Steve, sensing a bit of bias towards the Stroli era here. <laughs> um, Steve Steve Atherton. Now I, I don't want to say this was a bit of a controversial inclusion, but he, he his selection was in that era of good sharks rugby in the early '90s. His lock partner was. Mark Andrews, and the coach was, uh, the Springbok coach at the time was Ian McIntosh. So I think there might have been a little favoritism pointing his way. Um, but he, he ended up not making it into the the 95 World Cup squad. And he and his last test, I think, was on tour in New Zealand uh, when we lost that series. Okay, 94. the 94 series. Okay. Yeah. All right, um, Keith Andrews, the cousin of Mark Andrews. Greg, you want to chime in there? Was he before your time? He was uh, definitely before my time. Um, sure, I, I was. I was trying to sort of wrap my my head around uh, an alternative there, and I just, um, I mean, looking at our titans over the years, I mean, they've all sort of, I mean, you've got Eddie Andrews, uh, Brian Majati. Um, oh, Brian Majati's uh, a great call, eh? 
uh, you've got, um, oh, I had the name on the tip of my tongue, but th that being as well, Keith Andrews definitely before my time. Uh, I mean, CJ Funderlinda, I mean, Brian Majority, you mentioned. Other than that, I'm, I'm trying to think of who else didn't have a, a good run in at, at Springbok level. Come back to me on that one. <laughs> no, I think, I think uh, as soon as you mentioned Brian Mujati, I think we overlooked him and he really, he was at the beginning of the Jake White era. And uh, uh, Peter de Villiers era. Was it Peter de Villiers era? Okay. Yeah, um, uh, I think the problem with Mujati was also, same as with Beast, he had to first wait out his eligibility to, to feature for the box. And then shortly after that, he, he also left for Northampton. Yeah. Um, when it no. that Peter he wasn't giving him uh, or wasn't actually favouring him in the squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris was so uh, he's on yeah and underrated. He only got I think uh, played uh, he played maybe one two seasons ninety five ninety six that uh, around there World Cup winner and yeah I think in today's top in today's rugby he he, he capitalised on uh, James Dalton getting. A red card and being kicked out of the World Cup and took his opportunity and I think he's definitely one of those more reliable John Smith type hookers hits his lineup jumpers and would have definitely played far more uh, test matches in a in the professional era of Springbok rugby. Yeah, it, it's actually strange you now mentioned that uh, the amount of test matches Chris Rousseau played nine test matches. He made his debut in the warm-up game against Samoa before the 95 World Cup. And his last test match was actually the 99 World Cup third-place playoff against New Zealand. So this is somebody that's played in two World Cups, yet only played nine test matches overall. I mean, that's, it's an interesting record and something that's probably unheard of, um, of other players having in the amount of test matches and covered over two World Cups. But in between those steady seasons, first starting with the Lions and then um, ending off with the Sharks, a few good Super Super 12 seasons with the Sharks to end of his career. Right, we're going to rush through Gary Pagel quickly. Anybody? Input? Uh, also Gary Pagel around the mid-90s, um, another, another province uh, stalwart at the time. Um, I mean... You guys, Andre, I'm sure you can sort of speak more to 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 him. But yeah, I mean, again, going back to those uh, scholars' seats at uh, at Newlands um, as a as a grade one, grade two, he was a guy that was just absolutely immense. And and I mean, I, I can't really remember much uh, rugby ability because it was all just sort of people moving and and bodies moving as a as a yeah. as a seven eight year old. But um, he definitely, I mean, in terms of the incumbents at the time. Um, Osterant, obviously uh, an institution that he is. Uh, I mean, you would have been hard pressed, knowing what we know now, hard pressed to keep him out of the team. Yeah, he, he was the he was the backup to Osterant at the at the '95 World Cup, and and it's quite sad, like you're saying, as many years ago. My my memory of Gary Pagel is uh, sitting with Nakodrotsky on the on the on the the bench, uh, cheering the box on, and he actually did get on in the. Um, he did get onto the field in the final during the extra time. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right, chaps. Thanks. Our, our 10 minutes ended up being about 35 minutes. So thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you. Big screen. Yeah, pleasure. We, uh, we, didn't, we, we didn't touch on Ruan Janssen van Rensburg there, but 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot we can say about him. Uh, underrated. Reminds me that Rowan Janssen from Rensburg and uh, Dick Muir, as you had there, um, looking at a combination that's out there right now, uh, a Tuolangi, Henry Slade uh, type type sort mm. of combination to me. Anyway, to, yeah, no, 100% uh, I had a thought in my head a bit earlier. No, you, you nailed that one right there. You, know, you nailed it. All right, James, thank you very much. We, we're going to be cut off quite soon. And uh, thank you very much for, for joining us on our first uh, uh, bonus point episode. We will definitely work on this and get better as we go along. Perfect. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. cheers. This episode was researched and hosted by Andre and Richard. Rugby Deconstructed, hosted on Anchor. Available on Google Podcast, Apple and Spotify. Music supplied by Anchor. Cover art by Andre. Produced by My Rugby Posts. This is a self-funded pod for the love of the game.